West Bowles, good morning. This past Thursday was Take Your Child to Work Day, and our six-year-old Lainey got to come to work here at the church with me. And so we did some things around the church for a little bit, and part of the work this week was this message. And so we were sitting in the library, and I said, Lainey, you get to write one line of the message this week. And I thought she'd have something right away, but after 15 minutes, there was nothing. And after an hour, there was nothing, but I could tell she was thinking about it. Finally, two hours later, this is what our six-year-old daughter came up with. Daddy smells funny. (laughs) That's what Lainey would like you to know this week. And honestly, that's probably all we need to know this week. So I'm going to pray and we'll just, we'll go. That's all you need. I'm just kidding. But there is one phrase that I hope that everyone in here can leave with. And I want you to say this after me. It's, I want you to see what he's done for me. As we talk about vantage points these last few weeks, that is a vantage point that I believe we have got to keep in mind. As we have our relationships with all the different people in our lives, that vantage point has tremendous power. It has the power to transform those relationships. It has the power to, I believe, fill this place up over and over And I believe that vantage point, if we can keep that vantage point in every interaction we have, it has the power to impact the community that we live in here in Littleton. These last few weeks, as we've talked about vantage points, we've looked at different viewpoints that are just kind of hard to hold on to. A couple weeks ago, we looked at our view of Jesus. And where we landed with that was that our clearest view of Jesus is at his feet, not at a distance, but at his feet. And then last week, as we celebrated Easter, we looked at our Heavenly Father's view of us. And through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we were reminded of how our Heavenly Father sees us, that he sees not what we do, but what Jesus did. And so today, we're going to take a look at the view that other people have of Jesus through our lives. And I think that the thing that's just got to guide those relationships, no matter where it's at, what area it is, has got to be that we look at them and we say, I want you to see what he's done for me. Now, that's hard, isn't it? Because one of the unavoidable truths of being a human and living where we live is everywhere you go, you're being watched. I don't mean like creepy stalker watched. I mean, you're being, you're being, people are watching your life and they're watching my life. And it's like that for our entire lives. People are watching us. And one of the things that happens is when you realize you're being watched, you want to make a good impression. And you want to put your best foot forward. And you want others to think well of you. And none of that's wrong. But sometimes the way we go about it, I think it takes our focus away from where it needs to be. I think that sometimes, and I know this especially about me, I'll say yes to everyone and everything because you don't want people to think less of you maybe. Or we get obsessed with this idea of self-improvement And it's not that self-improvement is wrong. It's just we get obsessed with it and it takes our focus and our view away from where it should be. Where we just place so much weight on what other people see in us and what other people think. And what happens is that when people look at us, instead of seeing what he's done for me, they just see me. And I don't know about you, but in the process of trying to put my best foot forward, a lot of times I just make a total fool out of myself. Last summer, 
we got a water bill and I had to, I had to call the water department because something didn't look right. And so I called and somebody got on the other end of the line and they said, how can I help you today, ma'am? I was like, did he just say man or ma'am? So I let that one go and I explained what didn't look, like, look right on the bill. And then he said, well, yeah, I can definitely help you with that today, ma'am. I was like, do I? okay, I'm 33 years old. Do I sound like a girl? <clears throat> and so he went on for a minute and a half about how we could fix this whole thing. And I didn't hear a word of it because I had this flashback. And if you're a guy in here, you've had this moment. When the phone rings when you were in fifth grade or junior high or maybe senior or maybe 33 years old, you pick up the phone and you say hello and they say, well, hello, are you the lady of the house? <laughs> and I remember I always used, this happened to me a lot in junior high and high school in my 20s. And I always remember saying, I'm a boy. <laughs> I'm a boy. Well, this guy got done after a minute and a half of explaining how we could fix the bill. And he said, is there anything else I can do for you today? And all that came out of my mouth was, I'm a boy. <laughs> and he said, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. And we got off the phone. And then I went, what'd I just do? I'm not a boy, I'm a man. <laughs> I'm a 33-year-old man. In fact, I really struggled for about two minutes with wanting to call the Denver Water Department back. And I wanted to say, get everybody on speakerphone, get out the account notes for Nathan Harrison, and note that Nathan Harrison is a man, okay? <laughs> but see, in the process of trying to shape how other people see us, oftentimes we're our own worst enemy, aren't we? There's an author named Richard Foster, and he says this. He says, there's a frantic stream of words that is constantly pouring out of us because we want to adjust our public image. And oftentimes we fear so much about what we think other people see in us that we talk in order to straighten out their understanding. I mean, that says it, doesn't it? And it's because of that dynamic and that tension in our lives that I believe there is one character in the Bible, one follower of Christ, one of his disciples that we point at over and over and over and over. And we look at his life and we say, you know what? Don't do that. And don't be like that. You know who that is? It's Peter. It's Peter. Because it's really easy to look at Peter as you look at his life in the Gospels. And he has a few shining moments, but for the most part, you know what you see? Jesus, I will always, or Jesus, I'll never, or look at what I can do, or call me out onto the water. And every single time, it seems like Peter just falls flat on his face and makes a fool of himself. And so it's easy to point at Peter as the example of what not to do. And you want to know why we are experts on what Peter should and shouldn't do? It's not because we're different from him. It's because we're exactly like him. We know what it was like to be Peter. And so this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 3 and 4, we're going to look at this story with Peter in it. And I hope you are as surprised as I was when I came across this story. Because as we open this, we're going to see that Jesus did something in Peter's life and the impact that it had. And I think you'll be surprised at what you see about Peter here. So let's take a look. Here's what's going on at the beginning of Acts. Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, and he's ascended into the heavens. 
And before he died, he told his followers, he said, I can't stay here, but I'm going to send one who is going to guide you and remind you of what I've said, and it's the Holy Spirit. And so that's what's happening in the beginning of Acts. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on these people, and we see it starting to move, and that's where we're going to pick up. It's chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now we see this going on today, don't we? Because when you're out and about and you're running errands or you go to the store, where do you see people asking for money? See them on the corners at the intersections? You see them at the entrance to the store? Where do you see people advertising? You see them at the corners of the intersections? You see the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts and all the fundraising. It happens at the entryway to the store. Why? Because those places are where all the traffic is at. And so that's where this man is at every single day because it is his best chance at getting money. Well, it goes on. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, and we've had this moment too, silver or gold, I do not have but what I have, I give you. Have you had that moment where you pulled up at the intersection and there's somebody outside your door and they're asking for money and you just think, I truly want to give them something, but I don't have any cash on me and I don't have any coins. That's what this felt like for a moment for Peter. About 11 years ago, we were on a youth trip to San Francisco and the group had split up, and my wife and I were at a restaurant with about 10 high school kids. Well, we came out of the restaurant, and everybody had their leftovers, and there was a man out there asking for money to buy food to feed him and his family. And I had that feeling. I went, I don't have anything to give him. And I looked around, and I went, oh, well, I, I could give him this. And I had my leftovers, so I gave him my leftovers, and he said thank you. And then this crazy thing happened. Ten high schoolers, all with boxes of leftovers, gave this man their food. And I can't go into the details of this man's excitement because we can't use that kind of language in church. He was just that excited. But suddenly he had received so much more than he expected to get. He thought he was asking for money for food for a meal, maybe to get through that day. And this was enough food to get him through and his family through at least the next couple days. And he was incredibly excited, and that's where about what we're about to see here. But for this man, it wasn't food. Take a look at what it was. Peter has just said, what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, I want to step back from this for a minute because think about this. This is Peter. This is the guy that throughout the Gospels, you look at him and it's like, is he ever going to get it right? Does Peter know what he's doing? He keeps making a fool of himself. But look what happened here. Peter gave this man something so incredible, something so much more than this man expected. How? 
How does a guy go from not getting it right to being able to give this incredible gift? What happened? Well, as we keep reading, we're going to see. What had happened is this drew a crowd. All these people ran over because they wanted to see what this was about because they recognized this man is the one who used to beg. And they run over and Peter sees all this. And look what he says, verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? That question, why, Peter knows the answer to. I think he wants to see if they know the answer to it because Peter knows that our human nature is when we see something amazing, we want to point it out and we want to be able to point to a person. We want to be able to point to a man and say, wow, they're incredible. What they can do is amazing. That was incredible. And I think he knew that the crowd was looking for that. And Peter said, no, no, no. I've been here before. Do you remember children of the 70s and 80s? Do you remember Millie Vanilli? Great band, great band. Well, we thought so for a while, okay? You'll find out in a minute. It was one of the first cassette tapes I ever had. I had Def Leppard was the first one, and then Millie Vanilli. And Millie Vanilli, I mean, it was life-changing music for fourth and fifth grade Nathan. They had hit songs like Baby, Don't Forget My Number, and Blame It on the Rain, and Girl, You Know It's True. And if you, if you truly want a life-changing experience, today when you get home, go on YouTube and type in Millie Vanilli. The dance moves alone will change you, for sure, all right? But Millie Vanilli, they put out this, what at the time was incredible music, okay? And, and they won multiple awards for it, all these Grammys. And one night, they were performing on the MTV Video Music Awards. And everybody thought these guys were singing this song live, and the music started skipping over and over and over. And it was right in the middle of one of their lines. And the guy, I think, tried to keep up with it for like three times, but it skipped about 15 times. And so suddenly they looked at each other, didn't know what to do, and they ran backstage. And what the whole world found out that night and the next day is that Millie Vanilli was a fraud. They had been lip syncing the entire time. All the hit music they'd put out, it wasn't them. It was these background singers that never got any credit for any of it. But Millie Vanilli had been taking credit for what other people had done. And so here you have Peter, and here's this crowd, and they want to be able to point to a man and say, wow, that was incredible, look what you did. And Peter said, no, I'm not doing that. And Peter shows them who it was. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham... Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Peter says, you want to know who this was? This was Jesus. And it's through the faith in Jesus that this man was healed. Well, then he goes on and he, he kind of does something kind of weird here. Look at what he says next. You, you people, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Well, that's how you win friends and influence people. <laughs> and he goes on. 
He says, we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. So what Peter's saying is, look, if you're looking to credit somebody, credit Jesus, because he's the one who did this. He's the one who healed him. But there's this kind of side thing where he's pointing the finger at him, it looks like, and he's saying, you disowned him, and you handed him over, and you killed him. And at first when you read this, it's like, is he shaming them? What's he doing? Well, that's not what's going on here. See, Peter, you know why he knew they had done this? Because Peter himself had done this. Peter is talking from his own life experience. Peter's saying, I disowned him as well. And then he keeps going. Look at verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. How does Peter know? Because Peter, in his own life, had acted in ignorance. He keeps going. Verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, how did Peter know that there would be times of refreshing? Because not only had Peter himself disowned Jesus, and not only had Peter himself acted in ignorance, but Peter himself had also repented of his sins and experienced the time of refreshing. There were those dark moments after Peter realized what he'd done after he had betrayed Jesus and denied him. And you remember, that's when Jesus showed up. And Jesus refreshed Peter. And so Peter say, look, do you want to know why I was able to offer what I offered to this crippled man? You want to know why I had that? Because I had received that. I had that in my own life. In other words, if that had never happened for Peter, then what does he have to offer this crippled man? Nothing. Now, that's a big idea right there. But what's even bigger is the impact of all of this. The impact is huge, and we're about to see it. What happens is this crowd is gathered around Peter. He's just said all this to them. He talks for a little bit longer, and then all the authorities in the temple, they run over because they want to know what the commotion's about because the temple was, all, at least for them, it was all about them. And here's this guy talking about Jesus, the guy that they thought they'd just gotten rid of. And yet here's Peter talking about Jesus, and people are drawn to it. And so the authorities run over, and they don't know what to do with them for the night, so they throw them in jail. And we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 7. The next day, we see Peter and John have been released from jail, and they're basically in a hearing in front of all the authorities. Look at verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And I have to wonder if in that moment, Peter and John had this flashback to a day when they had been sitting with Jesus and he was telling them, one day when you stand before the rulers and the authorities and you stand in the synagogues, don't worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say in that moment. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
So once again, Jesus' word proves true. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. So he's getting bold because now it's the authorities who had, who had killed Jesus. He's saying, you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he says, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. In other words, this man that you killed, he's actually, in the one you rejected, he's actually the one that this whole thing rises or falls on. And then he goes on. He says, salvation, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And then look at what happens next. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You want to know the impact of what happens when Jesus gives you something in your time with him and you offer that to someone else? You know what happens? People see Jesus in your life. For all that time that we spend running around trying to get people to see me and look at me and look what I can do, Peter learned something here. He said, no, look what Jesus did in my life. And there's this incredible moment where it didn't matter if it was a man in need or a crowd in awe or authorities who were opposing him. They're looking at him and they took note that he'd been with Jesus. They could not deny it because of what Peter had to offer. And I love this part, this next part. The authorities, these are like the brilliant minds. These are the leaders. They dismiss Peter and John and they stand back and they kind of huddle up and they're like, so what do you think we should do with these guys? And so they hatch this, this incredible plan. You're not gonna believe it when you read it, okay? Verse 17, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Verse 18, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So their whole plan, these brilliant minds, the authorities and the leaders, what do they come up with? We're just going to tell them to stop. And that'll stop them. How well do you think that plan worked? It didn't. Have you ever tried to tell somebody to stop talking? Yeah, it doesn't work. Okay, have you ever tried to tell somebody to stop talking who's under the influence or the power of something? Yeah, it doesn't work. Let me rephrase that. Have you ever tried to tell a little girl to stop singing Let It Go from Frozen? <laughs> it doesn't work. The other night, oh, 10 at night, our six-year-old and our three-year-old, they're usually asleep by about nine. 10 at night, True, our three-year-old's in her room, Lainey, our six-year-old's in her room, and all we hear throughout the house is let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore, let it go. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that song has cast a spell over every little girl in the world. 
I went in there and I was looking at True and she's like spinning around and she's singing at the top of her lungs. And I finally got her stopped long enough to just look at me. I said, True, stop. And she had this look in her eyes like, I want to, but I can't help it. And look at what their reply was after they told them to stop. But Peter and John replied, verse 19, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, you want to know what happens when Jesus gives his people something and they offer that to the world? Well, the Holy Spirit starts to touch lives with it and it touches our own lives to the point that you just can't stop talking about what he's done, what Jesus has done in your life. And so what do we see in Acts? You see his Holy Spirit working through people who just can't stop talking and they can't stop speaking about what Jesus has done in their life. And Jesus, as you look at Acts, continues to grow and grow and grow his church. And today he continues to grow and grow and grow his church through his Holy Spirit because of what he's done in people's lives. Now, could we just, I just want to step back from all this for a minute. You want to know the crazy thing about this whole episode? Is it almost didn't happen. Because Luke, who wrote Acts, he also wrote a gospel, an account of Jesus' life. And you know how, you know how it ends for Peter in the book of Luke? The last thing you see in the book of Luke is Peter's betrayal of Jesus. And we know that within those next few days, Peter said, you know what? I'm done. Jesus is dead. I don't know what these last few years of my life have been about. I'm moving on and I'm going back to the only thing I know how to do. I'm going back to fishing. And that's how Peter would have been remembered. But you know what? Jesus showed up in his life. And I think in that time together that they had, however long it was, I think Jesus gave Peter something. And he gave Peter something that Peter would be able to offer to a crippled man, that Peter would be able to offer to thousands of people in the early church, and that Peter would be able to offer to the millions and billions of people who read about his life. And when you look at the life of Peter, it's not anything Peter did. It had nothing to do with what Peter could do. And it had everything to do with what Jesus had done for Peter. Not too long ago, um, my parents aren't here, so I can't get grounded for this story. Um, you know, in every family, there's, uh, there's disagreements that come up. And I had a disagreement not too long ago with my sister, of all people. Imagine that. Um, you know, we, we fight with our siblings. And I just had something, I was trying to figure out how to say to her, and I just could not figure out how to say it without hurting her or getting in the way or kind of like Peter, thinking I'd take it into my own hands and just fall flat on my face. And I could not figure out what to say to her. And so I forgot about it for a while. And there was one night during just some time I had, some time alone with Jesus and his word, that he laid something so powerful on my heart. And I just, all I heard was, I got to share that with my parents. And so I went and I shared that with my parents as, as we were talking one evening. And they didn't know anything about the, 
the dissension with my sister or anything like that. And lo and behold, there's this family conversation. And out of my mom's mouth come the very words that were in my heart to say to my sister. Now, you know why I tell you that? Because that is what the Holy Spirit does. When you offer what Jesus has given you in your time with him, the Holy Spirit goes to work. Not long after that, my dad said, just based on what I had shared, well, he, he sat down, my sister and I, and he shared some things about what we mean to him as a dad. And it was everything that I needed to hear. Everything I needed to hear. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so two questions for you this morning. One, what are we on the verge of missing out on? Because we're depending on ourselves. Because we think it's up to us to fix different things. You know, in a room this big, I'd imagine that for some of us, it's family relationships. For some of us, it's a work situation. I think for maybe a lot of people in here, including myself, it's a church where we go, well, if we could just figure out how to do this and if we could get the right guy, that that would change everything. And we're so focused on what I'd like to see and what I think should happen. Look, I think God has his guy for this place. But in the meantime, let's not try to figure out doing what God is taking care of. Because when you do that, you know what you miss out on as we walk back through Vantage Point? You forget about spending time at the feet of Jesus. And honestly, I think it's at the feet of Jesus, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that he not only wants to show us something, but I think he wants to give us something, like he gave Peter, that we can turn around and offer the world, that his Holy Spirit can work with. I believe he wants to show us how our Heavenly Father sees us, so that we can finally get ourselves, get Nathan, get everybody out of the way so that God can work through us instead of around us. And the other question I've got, and maybe a better question, is what are we on the verge of seeing God do? And the only way that we're going to know what that is is to see ourselves as the Heavenly Father sees us and to spend time at the feet of Jesus and you know what I think will happen when we do that? I think we'll realize that we've been given something that we have to offer the world. That when we interact with everybody we interact with, they'll look at our lives and they'll say, oh, I'm seeing what Jesus has done for you. And I want to know what that's about. We're going to get a chance this summer. I mean, this next month, there's some cool things planned. Next week, Dan Sarian's going to share Julie Burns is going to share a Mother's Day message with us. We have the choir concert. You're going to hear from David Perez, our junior high leader, at the end of May. But this summer, we're going to talk about some characters in the Bible who when they encountered Jesus, their lives were never the same. And I would urge you between now and then, all of us, to get at the feet of Jesus and encounter Jesus because it will leave you never the same. And you will have something to offer that the world desperately needs, but not you, what Jesus has through you. It'll be something that the world desperately needs and we'll watch the Holy Spirit go to work. I'll pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for a different view. 
thank you for being patient with us and merciful with us when we see the way we want to see. But thank you for the reminder of how we should view Jesus. Thank you for the reminder of how you view us. And Father, keep at the forefront of our minds and on our hearts the world's view of you through us because you have so much to offer the world and the fact that you would use us and choose us. Well, there's just nothing greater in life. And so I pray, I pray that you will use your Holy Spirit to stir things in our hearts as we spend time with you. Show us what it is you've given us. Write that on our hearts so that it never goes away so that we can turn and offer that to the world and watch your spirit speak And Father, give us the joy that comes from just not being able to stop talking about what you're doing in our lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We'll see you next week.